You're listening to MESS, a motivational and educational series for success, where Rhonda and Jules find articles online pertaining to dental assisting or the industry. This way, you get to learn while you listen. Okay, guys, it's time for you to figure out this ordering thing. Either your dentist has not delegated that to you or you already have the task and it's overwhelming. Check out Zen Supplies. They are the next generation of ordering dental supplies in an online platform. It literally is almost like having an Amazon account for your dental office. They are helping DAs save their dentist money and get their time back. All the time that you spend looking up products, trying to figure out how much stuff you have, how your budget is going to be allocated, literally it's all in one place. So if your dentist is getting ready to delegate to you and say, you know what, I want you to take this ball and help us with our ordering so that we can get our costs down, make sure that we have the proper supplies and we're not over ordering or under ordering, but just being held accountable and and giving you this master tool that's truly gonna help get you rockstar status. So go check them out, www.zensupplies.com. This mess comes from Dentistry IQ. Why is my implant failing and what can I do? When implants fail, patients naturally have questions. Here's how to answer them. Written on November 12th, 2019. Written by Amy L. Dion, B-S-C-R-D-H. Your client has had some trouble with their implant for some time and you have done your best to instruct them on proper care, including brushing, flossing, water picks, sulca brushes, all to no avail. Every radiograph is showing continued loss of bone height. The dentist informs the client that the implant has failed and will have to be removed. The client then turns to you and asks, why did my implant fail? It's not hurting. Can we try to save it? Will I be able to get another implant? If I get a new implant, will it fail as well? If your dental team is unsure how to respond to these questions, you are not alone. While most implants succeed, the answer to the question, why do implants fail, is complicated. The scientific literature regarding the risk factors for implant failure is limited. The treatment of biologic complications and failing implant lacks systematic scientific validation and is based mainly on imperial experience and inference from in vertigo findings on a trial and error basis. From the evidence gathered, common risk factors and profiles do emerge. The type of implant device, surgical procedure, anatomy, systemic health, occlusion, microbial biofilmed host immunoinflammatory response and genetics. However, many of these can be minimized if all the factors that lead to implant failure are considered when planning treatment. With the success and popularity of implants steadily growing as a long-term standard treatment option, so grows the need to understanding factors combining and contributing to implant failure. There are two main types of implant failure, early and late. Early failures occur within the first three to four months of implant placement and are due to a lack of osteo-ingeneration. Osteo-integration. 
How about that one instead? <laughs> when considering placement or replacement of a dental implant, the clinician and client must examine risk for early failure. These include autoimmune diseases, examples, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, in which the body rejects the implant as a foreign body, bisphosphonate medications that may affect the growth of a bone support after placement, poor blood supply due to the effect of medications or smoking, overloading, when bite pressure is focused on the implant instead of surrounding teeth, occurs occasionally when the crown was not seated well, the implant is in a posterior location and the bite force is heavy, the client clenches or an implant bridge span is too long. Rejection of a foreign body, when the body will not allow integration and forces the implant out. Allergies, to implant components can occur. Implants are titanium alloy and contain minor amounts of nickel that may trigger sensitivities. The client may complain of a burning or tingling at the site. Various implant types are now available and all have their pros and cons. Every client is unique in their situation and this must be considered when choosing the implant type. Machine services have performed poorly compared to other options available, including roughen surfaces, titanium oxide coated, chlorhexidine coated, ceramic coated, or completely ceramic. All have their benefits in certain conditions, but all are striving for better osseointegration osseo and a maintained clean field. Factors relating to the surgical procedures. Malposition of the implant in the basal layer of bone can lead to loosening or various parts breaking, especially during the direct placement after tooth removal. The site must be cleaned of all necrotic and diseased tissue, the dense cortical bone of the socket walls removed while being mindful of not creating too much heat, the site integrated and disinfected, and the implant itself must be sterile. One study noted that surgical trauma of bone quality and quantity were the most important etiological factors involved in early implant failures. Infection. Factors such as other areas of gingivitis and periodontitis, especially on teeth close to an implant, as well as the client's general oral hygiene, must be considered. Foreign objects such as rough cement or food debris are also known to be some causes of inflammation leading to implant failure shortly after placement. Exploring long-term failure. These problems that occur after osseointegration, osseointegration and are many of the same reasons people lose natural teeth. Risk factors such as poor oral hygiene, clenching and grinding, smoking, general poor health, excessive load, and the amount of quality of bone. All are issues that can all lead to failure of an implant even after successful integration. 2015 systematic review by a working group of periodontal researchers and experts found a prevalence for peri-implant mucositis of 43% and for peri-implantitis of 22% and lack of regular supportive therapy in patients with peri-implant mucositis was associated increased risk for onset of peri-implantitis. Patients administered mechanical plaque control with manual or power toothbrushes has been shown to be an effective preventative measure. Professional intervention comprising oral hygiene instructions and mechanical debridement revealed a reduction in clinical signs of inflammation. 
adjunctive measures, antiseptic local, and systemic antibiotics, air abrasive devices were not found to improve the efficacy of professionally administered plaque removal in reducing clinical signs of inflammation. In other words, prevention of disease and control of peri-implant mucositis is typically focused on early detection and intervention from the dental hygienist through physical and educational means, and this centers around control of inflammation through plaque removal. The working group suggests that there is little evidence to show the benefit of adjunct services. However, detailed research does suggest that generally, if only the smooth surface of the abutment is exposed and the rough anatomy of the implant is not accessible, hand debridement is just as successful as other means. However, when the rough surface meant for osseoingeneration is exposed, through hand scaling is still required to remove larger pieces of calculus. The air polishing device did best at researching all implant areas including the tips and the threads between the threads. It seems that there is still no consensus on which scalers are the best to use. Resin or nylon curettes and plastic tipped ultrasonics are said to have the least impact on the implant surface compared to steel or titanium scalers. However, Plastic instruments also leave behind particles on the rough implant surface, whereas there is less chance of this with the other scalar types. Completing removal of remaining calculus and biofilm is still best achieved with the least amount of alteration to the implant surface. With an air abrasive device and glycine or erythritol powders. If peri-implantitis reaches a moderate level of 3 to 4 millimeters of cal after the initial osteoingeneration level was settled, we must decide to consider a treatment beyond preventive debridement. Implant removal before moderate or severe bone loss occurs is still often a recommendation intervention. However, new treatment methods are being investigated and have opened up the possibility of reversing peri-implantitis. Surgical debridement of the pocket and the disinfection of implant body are imperative to stopping the disease process. Intervention should include periodontal surgery to open the flap and reveal the implant and defection bony margin. Next, removal of any necrotic bone or tissue calculus and biofilm to disinfect the implant body and cleanse the site may be done. This can be completed through chemical, laser, or erythritol glycine air abrasion methods. All have their benefits or drawbacks, but chemical and air abrasion methods have most positive results compared to laser. As tissue, as issues of heat and proper decontamination of the tissue arise, impeding proper healing. Again, factors that led to periimplantitis must be considered and resolved for this treatment to be successful. If an implant must be removed, a replacement is often considered. Implant replacement is a reasonably feasible option for scenarios of early and late implant failure. However, modifiable risk factors must be controlled before proceeding for implant replacement. This includes the age of the client, their medical status, smoking, oral hygiene, financial status, and desires of the client, and the anatomical visibility of the site. An overall implant survival rate of 86.3% after retreatment suggests that most initial implant failures are likely attributed to modifiable risk factors, such as implant architecture, 
anatomic site, infection, and occlusal overload. In the end, there seems to be little consensus in the research and therefore little consensus on determining if an implant will fail with any certainty, and with all factors involved, it's, it's plain to see why. We are making headway, however, and an understanding of risk factors and combinations of risk, risk factors can still guide us in helping our clients with the decision-making process when it comes to how to manage a failing implant. By understanding the risks that can lead to implant loss, dental hygienists can be equipped to intervene during the early stages of peri-implant mucositis and peri-implantitis, educate our clients on the factors that likely led to peri-implantitis, collaborate on whether these factors can be managed well at home and in the dental office, or to consider a periodontist referral. By understanding our clients' unique risk factors, we are equipped to help them sort through the information and decide what option may be best for them. To try to save an, a failing implant, consider removal of the implant and replacement, or consider another option for tooth replacement. Thanks for tuning in to Monday Mess. All links to the articles read will be found in the show notes.